Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Tim Burrows and I have had similar career paths in some ways. We both started our media careers in newspapers, magazines and online some three decades ago when he founded his award-winning Mumbrella business the same year I started my first PR consultancy. I recall how innovative the website was in its offering. Tim has seized the opportunity to disrupt the media industry's two traditional print titles with an analytically-led digital-only product. Under his editorship, Mumbrella was twice named Website of the Year at the Publishers Australia Awards while he was named Business Journalist of the Year. He was also twice named Editor of the Year at the British Society of Magazine Editors Awards. He expanded this to a business model driven by running conferences and awards, including launching the icon event Mumbrella 360, in which pre-COVID, more than 3,000 marketers and media executives would gather across three days at the biggest event of its type in Asia. While Tim was curator, Mumbrella 360 was twice named Conference of the Year at the Australian Event Awards. In the decades since its launch, Mumbrella earned its stripes as a respected authority on the Australian media and marketing landscape, with Tim becoming a recognised commentator on media issues. In 2017, Mumbrella was sold to the US-owned Diversified Communications in a multi-million dollar deal. Prior to Mumbrella, Tim edited the Aussie ad industry bible B&T Weekly, and before coming to Australia, Tim was the Dubai-based launch editor of Campaign Magazine, covering advertising and marketing stories throughout the Middle East. And before that, he was editor of Media Week in the UK. He began his career on locally and daily newspapers before his first editorship on specialist B2B magazine, Hospital Doctor. Tim has a new project as author of a book, Media Unmade, the definitive story of Australia's media during the disruptive decade of 2010 to 2020, and it comes out in July this year. And today we are discussing the politics of unmade. Welcome, Tim. Hey, Amber, thank you very much for the invitation to join you. So I want to see if the similarities continue between you and I. Did you always want to be a journalist and how did you get that first break? Look, I suppose I did, or if not a journalist, I was certainly fascinated by the media generally. So I I was quite lucky, you know, as, as you say, sort of uh, my early parts of my career in the UK. And I, I was very lucky to stumble into a local newspaper when I was 18. So I didn't go to university first. I was, I was lucky enough to get my kind of training on the job and then to be for the, for, for the formal, the more formal parts to be sent along by my, my employer, which is, is probably something that doesn't happen now. So no, probably last of an era, really. I think that that happened. Because I, I imagine we're similar ages, and I and I definitely did the uni course because I was kind of told, oh, you won't get in anymore if you don't do that, and then you do the cadetship where you earn like two dollars an hour, and you know all the things that you think you're going to do, you don't do yet. Well, I've recently realised that in Australia, the way of telling somebody's age when they're around my age is whether they're uh, they're eligible to get the AstraZeneca jab or not. So, oh I mean- right, so no, I'm in, I'm in a Pfizer boat still. So. Um, <laughs> 
um, I'm probably going to get it in about a year's time at this rate. <laughs> oh, well, I'm a couple of years ahead of you then in that case. So what made you start Mumbrella in 2008? And I guess once you sort of had that seed idea and then launched it and got stuck into it, was the reality different to what you really expected it would be to like to run your own media business and platform? Yeah, look, a, a couple of things, I suppose. First of all, the the idea that we had when we started Mumbrella was slightly different to where we ended up. So, you know, at the at the time, I, you know, as you you said, I was working at, at B and T, which was although it did do a daily newsletter, it was very much had the sense of coming out once a day, you know, as a sort of companion to the to to, to the weekly magazine. And I suppose I I initially thought that the opportunity was actually in, more in in even more specialised niches. So, you know, we thought that we would do a series of, you know, I mean, it sounds like a terrible idea now, and it actually was a terrible idea. Um, a oh, I love to hear people's <laughs> terrible ideas because they often, they, they, they lead to the good ideas as yeah, well. Yeah, well, we were thinking weekly PDFs for specialist parts of the industry. So a PDF for people working in media agencies, you know, the same for people in creative agencies and PR agencies and marketers and so on. And then the, the the kind of adjunct to that was okay, and we'll we'll need some sort of you know respe- receptacle just for SEO reasons. So we threw together um, you know a quick WordPress website to kind of capture everything, and that was uh, that was Mumbrella. So luckily, because by the time we launched, it was kind of December. We decided okay, well we won't we won't launch the PDF straight away, but we will we'll launch Mumbrella. You know, glorified blog. You know, so it was WordPress. It was basic. You know, one one stream of content, and luckily that part of the business model took off. So you know, very fortunately. We never did the terrible PDF idea. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad to, Dad, to hear that you had the bad idea before the good ideas came. I guess, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time and, and do you still have a love of journalism and media as much as these days or do you feel a bit jaded and kind of like, I guess, over it in any way at all? Because you obviously don't do the day-to-day from Umbrella anymore, but, you know, you're obviously still involved as a commentator and obviously with the book that's coming out. Look, it's a fascinating industry to cover, you know, particularly, uh, you know, and I suppose it's almost, you know, in terms of what I write about sort of straddles two worlds, you know, that sort of world of the, you know, the business of media. And then the world of the business of marketing, and obviously the two intersect quite a lot. But you know, they, you know, the, the, the characters are different, and the money dynamics are different. And you know, I guess there's always something fascinating going on there. And I suppose the the other benefit for a journalist is it, it reminds me a bit of my days working on local newspapers, where you're actually writing about your own world. Now, most journalists actually don't get to write about their own world. Certainly, you know, if you're, I don't know, a medical specialist, you're writing about doctors, but you're probably not a doctor yourself. Whereas at least when I write about media, I am writing about my own world. So, so you know, it's always, it's always fascinating. And I suppose, you know, for the first time in the last couple of years, I'd say also, you know, one of the differences that we're feeling slightly more optimistic each year rather than less optimistic certainly in terms of the kind of you know the the future viability of media so so having spent yeah most of the first three decades with each year seeming a tiny bit worse than the year before in terms of the outlook suddenly actually at least in the sort of short to medium term it's possible to actually feel more optimistic 
Yeah, which is a good place to be. Um, I think even as a former journalist, you know, you have a nostalgia for the industry and it has gone through some tough times, which probably lands us to the topic of your book. Writing a book is a big job and it it is different to being a short-form journalist or a podcaster even. The, The experience of writing Media Unmade, do you feel like it took you a long time from initial idea to really finishing it and and what would be some of your your learnings and experiences in in producing this book yeah look and i think particularly for me one, one of the things about online publishing is you get so used to that dopamine hit of you publish it and it's out in the world a few moments after you've finished writing it often versus you know a, a a, a book is, you know, it's a project of certainly more than a year. So, so I had this sort of idea of writing about the evolution of Australia's media over over the last decade. So that sort of that well, initially it was going to be the eleven year decade of two thousand ten to two thousand and twenty, and then it became a, a twelve year decade when I included twenty twenty one as well. And then there was a, you know, there was the, the, there was a little bit of effort of, of, of finding some sort of publishing interest, and I was very lucky that Hardy Grant, who obviously one of Australia's great independent publishers, was interested in taking it taking it on as a project. And and even then, at the sort of stage where there was a synopsis, it was it was quite a flat structure. You know, effectively, it would have been you know a, a chapter on Channel Nine, a chapter on News Corp, a chapter on Google, and so on. Whereas, of course, there's a much more you know, complicated story because all of these organisations interact with each other. So, you know, I found once, um, you know, once Hardy Grant were kind enough to to offer me a contract and I was able to take some long service leave from Umbrella, the first two or three weeks of the project were just about building a structure. You know, it was, it was working out what I would and wouldn't write about, you know, developing, you know, on, you know, on a giant court board and on a giant whiteboard you know, what event effectively became, you know, what would be more traditionally in fiction, a three-act structure. Mm. And I was, I suppose, very fortunate that, you know, I knew that the 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 action really started in, I suppose, 2012 when there was that one terrible week when Fairfax announced uh, 1,900 jobs were going and there were closing print works. And in that same week, News Corp announced that they were making their own changes and their own redundancies. And they, they didn't say the number at the time, but that was about 1,600. So, you know, 3,500 jobs gone in a single week from the media industry. Never been a week like it. And I and that was my opening. But at the time I actually started writing the book, I didn't know that I would get the closing of the ACCC leaning on Google and Facebook through the news media bargaining code and effectively persuading them to hand over tens of millions of dollars to Australia's publishers over the next three to five years and effectively in an incredibly grubby way, but nonetheless effectively safeguarding the the near-term future of the funding of journalism. Total plot twist. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. They the chapter I've actually called a Deus. Uh, my 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 Latin might be terrible pronunciation, but Deus ex machina. That sort of act of God that gives you the uh, the plot twist you weren't expecting for your ending. Well done. Very very serendipitous. Well timed. Um, the term unmade is something a lot of us might not be familiar with it, and it is an unusual kind of term. What does it mean? And is it actually a negative slant on this disruption that we have seen? in traditional and other media outlets over the last 10 years? Yeah, two two probably sort of thoughts around that. One is sort of, you know, 
un- the, you know, the unmaking is what comes before the remaking. And that's absolutely what we've seen with the media in Australia over the last decade, particularly the sort of, you know, the, the business structure of it all. You know, we've, we, 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 we've, we've seen ourselves go through this transition from a media which very broadly is primarily funded through advertising to a media whose future is going to be funded much more through users, readers, audience paying directly, whether that's streaming content, you know, like your your Netflixes or your your stands, etc., or through newspaper subscriptions, you know, that and, and, and that has its positives and negatives, you know, the the major negative being the thing that seems to work for de- driving subscriptions to, you know, the likes of Sky News in Australia or Fox News in the US or many newspapers is some form of polarisation, giving a niche audience what they want. So, so, so I guess that unmaking and remaking is part of it. And then the other one is, um, I suppose, it's a slightly more uh, practical reason for just choosing a word in the title, which is is slightly unfamiliar. Is one of the lessons I had when we started Mumbrella was owning an unfamiliar word really gives you a bit of an advantage online just for things like SEO. Now, it did mean that for the first couple of years, every single phone message I'd leave, it would be, yep, like umbrella, but with an M in front. Um, (laughs) Hey, you thought about this. (laughs) Yeah, so similarly, I guess I was looking for something, a word I could own again that that not not too many other people would use. You know, clearly there are other people who've used the phrase unmade before me, Uh, whereas I think with umbrella. At the time, there was literally there was a cartoon on the web of a kind of mum sheltering her baby as a mumbrella. And, oh, there you go. You know, and, and then <laughs> there, was, there was some. <laughs> it was, and then there was some sort of trademark BMW had taken against some sort of par and some medical oh. company in the UK. But that was basically it around the world. So, so you know, so definitely finding yeah, find, fi- finding a word that you can be quite closely associated with seemed like, um, you know, if not essential, then a good idea if it was possible. And do you think that we have had a similar media story to other countries like the US or the UK even or, you know, parts of Asia? Or is our Australian media story, you know, unique and in some ways, you know, a perfect storm for what happened? Yeah, look, it, it it's clearly you know, we, we, we've each taken our own path, I suppose, in each country, you know, so for Australia, you know, we, we, we had the moguls, you know, we had the Kerry Packer, sort of, you know, founding, sort of, uh, I guess, founding energy for Channel 9, and then what was then ACP magazines and became Bauer Media and more recently, R Media, you know, you had Kerry Stokes, who uh, owns you know, the West newspaper and also, of course, Seven West Media, you know, Channel 7, you know, so you, and and then you've had various companies have their hands and let go of Channel 10, including, you know, Rupert, Rupert Murdoch and the Murdoch family. So you've got these actions of individuals and definitely one of the things I've realised kind of, you know, in writing media I made is that actions of individuals actually made a difference. You know, the calls that CEOs made changed the outcome. So none of this was was inevitable. But here in Australia, you've also got the, you know, the, the unstoppable force coming in of the digital behemoths. So we talk about the digital duopoly of, of, of Google 
and Facebook, but also you've got, you know, the rising might of Apple and Amazon as well. So, so, you know, they're, they're, they're finding their own way and, you know, really kind of, I guess, carving a swathe into, you know, into Australia and, you know, maybe Amazon hasn't fully made itself felt, but, you know, I'm certain that it, that it, it absolutely will. So, you, you know, you have got those two stories, but, you know, I, I suspect that in every country there's a unique mix and a unique story as well. So, you know, that, you know, I think it's a bit of both, but you can't ignore things like, you know, the implications of, the rise of the QAnon conspiracy theories and the the storming of the capital kind of driven by Facebook conspiracy, driven by Twitter, driven by, you know, the ability of Donald Trump to weaponize all of that. You know, one of the lessons for me from from the start of, 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 of this year was um, there's nothing to say that couldn't happen in Australia. You know, it's, you know, we, we've got more in common than we have in, you know, in differences with, with, with the US. So, you know, there, there, there are huge lessons to be drawn from other markets of the of the influence of social media and what can happen to us. Yeah, absolutely. Look, thinking about unmade and you did allude to it before the idea that that same media or reincarnation of that can be remade is that actually possible now like because we're so in love with our facebook our google our stan our you know i guess our content on demand what could that look like to sort of i guess resuscitate some of the media in a new and fabulous way that perhaps has not been realized yet I suppose one of the things is it always feels as if where we are at the time feels quite permanent and as if that's the way things are going to be. And yet whenever you look back at a previous five years or a previous 10 years, that's not the case. So, you know, a decade ago, or perhaps just fractionally over a decade ago, it looked like MySpace was going to be the big player, you know. Oh, good old Facebook MySpace. Was and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I reckon that gets used as a case study at least once a week in a conversation with someone of, you know, what could happen and what, you know, what could have been and should have been in some ways for businesses. It, it is. And, of course, that's one of those big what-ifs because, remember, you know, News Corp bought MySpace. So what if News Corp had made a go of MySpace as the main social media player as well you know would would the organization have been as as dominant in that social media world as they are in the in the world of newspapers for instance so so definitely um everything can and does get remade and it and it feels that that yeah you know i i guess commercially google are preeminent in terms of kind of impact on society, Facebook, but it also does feel like there is some sort of reaction or or backlash of some form. So, so I I, I suspect that people will move on. It might happen through um, kind of antitrust investigations in the US. You know, we might we might well see that some of these organisations are broken up. You know, why? You know, in the long term, will the regulators allow? You know, the Google or you know parent company of, of of Google is Alphabet. You know why why would Alphabet be allowed to carry on owning Google the search engine and to own all of the plumbing or the vast majority of the plumbing of the advertising ecosystem and also you know you kind of you know the predominant video player in YouTube and you 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 get the same with Facebook which owns you know WhatsApp and which owns Instagram so I think there will be a moment when we see the you know a breakup 
you know, it'll probably be driven out of the US first of all, or possibly Europe. But again, that's what history tells us. You know, it happens with the oil barons. It happened with the telephone companies in the US. So I think that moment will come. And that that perhaps is is what will start the next kind of uh, the, the, the next round of the revolution, if we want to call it that. Absolutely. Look, your book account says that against the existential threat embodied by Google and Facebook, Australia's media companies remade their broken business models and plotted takeovers in a battle for survival. And just when the worst seemed to be over, COVID-19 delivered the biggest advertising recession of all time, pushing every media company to the brink. And obviously with it, some of the best known dynastic companies that, that we are very familiar with. Was there any other way that it could have been done better and stayed afloat? Obviously, we didn't see the pandemic coming, but the tide of change was coming for a long time. So I'm always I'm always curious to know the people in the driver's seats, how could they not see that we were, you know, we're in the Titanic and we're going to hit this iceberg at some point? Look, I suppose that that is one of the questions. It's a lot easier a, a year and a bit on to look back and say, you know, why didn't we know this? Why didn't we know that? You know, on the political level, there are lots of arguments about why don't these various organisations, why shouldn't they be made to pay back JobKeeper when they, they came through profitable? And of course, at the time, we didn't know that was, you know, that was that was going to be the case. And I suppose, you know, you could look at, for instance, outdoor advertising companies or cinema advertising companies, you know, when you're talking about media or, or magazines or newspapers, all very vulnerable to some sort of disruption in consumer habits. But also, even when you know there's a vulnerability, what do you do about it? You know, what do you do about it when particularly you you have a, a business model that works well? And, and time and time again, that's been the issue. When you have a business model that works well right now, it's really hard to disrupt yourself. You know, I think that's the pain we're seeing. Foxtel, which is... You know, oh yes. You know, you, yep. you, as you'd know, sort of owned by both News Corp and then a minority stake from from Telstra, and of course, you know, has been very profitable for many years. But seeing all this disruption from the streaming services, and it certainly initially, really struggled to respond to that and lost a lot of ground. Finally, now I think responding with its own streaming services, but it took a long time and had several false starts first. And I think that is. It's the problem of the incumbent, isn't it? Is it's always harder to disrupt yourself. Yeah, it takes takes a lot of guts to be able to do that, especially when you are still making money and things seem to be going going well. So, what other industries do you think are being unmade as we look? You know, the lessons of the media must relate to other sectors, and I think of things like energy and renewables, tech, even small business manufacturing, which got into the spotlight during COVID because suddenly, you know, you had vodka businesses that could suddenly make hand sanitizer and pivot very quickly to to meet demands. Are there other sectors that you can see this idea happening, and and sort of what's some observations that you have around that? Oh, look, there are so many. You know, as as, as you said at the start, I was you know lucky enough to be part of a kind of financial exit from Umbrella a few years back so so in a very small way I get to make a few investments now so you know there's there, there's an awful lot going on in the renewables sector so I've got a small investment there there's Here we're getting stock tips from Tim Burrows everyone let's go <laughs> well I won't I won't name the individual companies so much as the sectors and you know education is another one you know that's definitely being disrupted the world of finance of course something which feels massively disruptable and I've not yet spotted what the, that opportunity is 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 the real estate industry you know it's so it's so old-fashioned it's so ingrained it's so 
really anti-consumer you know it's all stacked to the benefit of the real estate agents who don't have to be particularly clever or intelligent to do their jobs not during um, a boom particularly yeah. it's like money for jam really yeah look it absolutely is and you know it seems there's something unique in australia's psyche about the sort of obsession with real estate as well you know always goes up never goes down so that feels like a sector massively ready to be disrupted and i think the question is you know how will that happen but i'm certain that it will Absolutely. I always believe people haven't got to where they are with their with their success stories without at least one or two great mentors. Are there any that stand out for you and what have they taught you about success and life? Yeah, look, lots and at different stages in the career. I think, you know, most most recently, you, you know, um, we were we were very fortunate with kind of the, the, the business of Mumbrella and, you know, I, it, it, it was myself and colleague Martin Lane was a co-owner and Ian Wakeling was another co-owner and we were we were very lucky that we were able to tap into the kind of the 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 big brain of Tony Four who you know sort of came on board and would advise us on sort of you know the equivalent of a day a week and he was the person who really turned us from something that had a an audience and some sort of business model into a much more professionalized operation you know he'd sort of had a, a big background in the you know the the world of nine MSN and that sort of thing, and is currently the chairman of O Media. So, so the, the 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 couple of years or so that Tony spent with us changed how we ran the business an awful lot. And then I suppose I look back much earlier in my career. You know, I, you know there was that thing when I was a deputy editor. My edit, you know, the 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 editor at the time I learned a lot from. When I was a junior reporter, it would be your your you know the, the chief reporter and the news editor. You learn you you, you learn so much from, and you you know twenty even you know sort of twenty twenty five years on, you think of some of those lessons that you learn. And I I suspect that might be one of the you know the things of you know being a mentor is I suspect the mentor forgets what they said a lot sooner than the mentee does. Absolutely. I think that's that's correct. And those things can stick with you for a long time if they've had some impact. Okay, a bit of fun now. If you had to choose a favourite book, song or film, what would it be and why? That's not too hard, really, if I'm honest. I'm somewhat obsessional about Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. So, you know, as it happens, I'm, I'm. This is audio, so we can't see. But I'm, I'm sitting here wearing my Springsteen on Broadway hoodie. So yeah, Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run, would be uh, the, the the one that would come to mind every time. Awesome, great, great choice. Finally, as we wrap up, what would be your top piece of advice for anyone wanting to navigate the politics of Unmade? Yeah, do you know, and it's, it's funny because you were kind enough to give me a bit of warning of the questions and every single question I thought, okay, I think I know an answer to that one. And then that was the, 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 the one question where I just thought, I don't have a great answer for that one. I honestly don't. And I suspect one of the reasons is that, you know, whenever people try and make any sort of prediction for the future, it, it never comes true. And when you try <laughs> to give advice generally, it, it, it becomes so specific. So, so look, I, I must admit this is, this is one I don't think I have anything great. You know, the thing that worked for me was, finding something interesting to do and trying to do it as well as I could. But that sounds so trite because I was so lucky and, you know, everybody has has privilege along the way to put them in that position. So that's what worked for me, but that wouldn't work for everybody else necessarily. So, 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 you know, if you, if you can absolutely do, 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 do something that, that you, you feel 
passionate about but at the same time i'm um i'm horrendously aware that's horrifically trite advice <laughs> well you've been very generous with your time and i am looking forward to reading your book when it's in my hot little hands very soon if you do want to connect further with tim there will be some details on our show notes until next time keep well thanks so much for listening today if you've enjoyed the politics of everything i thrive on your feedback so please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon. <laughs>